Hello everyone and welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. We are, of course, your purveyors of authentic frontier film gibberish. I'm Michael Clancy and today we're going back reviewing the skeletons in our closet. Just when we thought we were out, we were pulled back into the murky world of the DVD box sets. Today's going to be a footnote on one of the box set marathon episodes we recorded last year, as uh, lo and behold, the series has continued. I am, of course, talking about the fifth installment of the Jason Bourne franchise. Matt Damon is back, Paul Greengrass is back, and it's only fitting to look at this new release, uh, this new summer blockbuster that I bring back the man that helped me on those dark nights back in November in Glasgow to go through all the first four Bourne films. It's only fitting that I bring back the man uh, to talk about the the new one. I found him in a bare-knuckle boxing match on the Greek-Albanian border, and I've dusted him off and I've brought him back here today. Welcome back to the show, Joe Morrison. How you doing, Joe? I, I love band. I'm uh, I, I decided to pull myself out of my bearing and up box to do when I saw you in the crowd watching. Oh, I, I was glad I gave you that new lease of life. You were there just seemingly with your, your fists down getting pummeled in the face and then when you saw me it gave you that lift to, to, to get through it because you knew, you knew things were about to get interesting again. Yeah, the horn signal was in the sky. And I'm very glad that you answered the call, mate. I'm very glad you answered the call. Obviously, when we recorded our box set marathon where we sat down and watched the first four Bourne films back in November, it was uh, different settings here this time. You know, we sat and watched all those films together uh, over the course of one day. Uh, it's been a bit different now because we are separated by the Atlantic Ocean, so we are, we're talking via the magic of internet and computers. Uh, we wa- I think we both watched the film. I, I certainly only saw it last week. I think you saw it a couple of weeks ago, so it's going to be a little bit more of a, a retrospective, but hopefully this will sit alongside it. As you so wonderfully described it, it's the Born Addendum, which I think will definitely be the episode title because I think that's absolutely fantastic. So it'll be interesting to... Interesting to see how this one compares alongside certainly at least the first three Bourne films. It will maybe, well, we'll get into it, but they, they seem to have forgotten about the Bourne legacy and perhaps we should as well. Yeah, we'll see because I hear rumours of uh, another Aaron Cross movie in the works somewhere. Oh, yes. The Jeremy Renner, Jason Bourne sequel is coming, directed by Justin Lin in 2018. So it's something to look forward to. Yeah, consider me excited, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about this one. As I said, came out uh, in July. Paul Greengrass back on board, Matt Damon back on board. They had both said that they wouldn't do another Bourne, or Matt Damon had said he wouldn't do another Bourne film unless Paul Greengrass was attached. I think when we wrapped up last year, we talked about that this film was going out. And while neither of us, I think, were particularly chomping at the bit to see another film, particularly having just watched all four of them. We, I think we both grudgingly admitted that, you know, if both Damon and Greengrass are on board, you would at least, you know, you've got to go into it with a fairly open mind. You'd like to think that they wouldn't go back to it unless they had a good reason. Um, how were you going into this film? I mean, were you excited for another uh, shot at seeing Damon as Jason Bourne? Well, I, I, I loved it. I love the first three films of the series. I um, sort of heard about the film. We talked about our expectations. I think I described, compared it with Toy Story Four, where I was like, it "Doesn't really need to happen." But I'll trust in the filmmakers. The trailers I thought looked pretty cool, uh, if a little bit too grandiose compared to what I expect from board films. There's cars flipping about and stuff, but I went in fairly, fairly optimistic of getting a, a decent. Jason Bourne action film. Uh, 
nice to talk a couple of my friends and uh, coming along with me to see it on the. We went on the opening night, and uh, so we actually, believe it or not, I rewatched the first three board films because uh, one of my friends, Caitlin, hadn't seen it. So I was like, well, I need to educate Caitlin. I didn't watch it all in one day. I did it over maybe five days, one one a night. Um, but yeah, so I, I was ready for board. I was primed. I knew I knew my Noah Vosens from my Pam Landis and uh, <laughs> I'm ready for it. And we should say in the the shameless plug section, if if you're unfamiliar with the the Bourne franchise, uh, obviously watch the first three films, but also we our our Born Again and Again and Again episode, which is available on iTunes and probably from the same place you got this, is a is a very good companion piece. I think it comprehensively breaks down those four films. Um, I think you summed it up quite perfectly with the comparisons to Toy Story Four because. It's a fan, you know. We came out of our discussion, you know. I think we were we were let down a little bit by the Born Legacy with Jeremy Renner, and it felt completely out of place. But certainly after those first three films, it was a very, you know, having done a few of these box set marathons, it was one of the one of the more enjoyable ones, you know, because the the films do zip along at a pace, and the action is really good, and you know, you maybe it, it throws in a little bit of character work as well, and it's. And, you know, it asks serious questions on surveillance and the value of human life, and it, all those things were really, really good. But even you know, as as highly regarded as I as I hold those three films, I, I, I found myself in no rush to go see this film. And you know, we had planned on getting this episode out maybe a little bit quicker, and I just couldn't really bring myself to get along. I put myself, I put it off a couple of times. Went to see Suicide Squad first, which is. Uh, well, I, I paid for that, certainly. But then, you know, I just remember going to see this and just not being excited about it. Just just being like, it, it, I went to see it out of more of a, a sense of obligation, which is sad because the, the first three films were so good. I think as well, was it, how long ago was the last one? It was almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, 2007, so we are talking nine years. Yeah, it's, it's not like a, it's struck while the air and hotter it. It's, it feels that they haven't, sort of captured that momentum that they had but the first three were quite so close together they told one singular story essentially uh, and you know you've got that momentum that buzz about it and then it's kind of almost 10 years later and it's this film comes out and it seems like it's not really about Jason Bourne it's called Jason Bourne even though we now know that his name is not Jason Bourne from the third film it just yeah I think that that possibly went against it as well fact they also had that strange Jeremy Renner spin-off in there where there's all this weird taking cams or whatever you know it does kind of lessen the impact of the first few films yeah it's it's a little bit of a shame and and we'll get into it we're gonna we're gonna break down the movie in a minute I think we're just doing a bit of a preamble before we move into more of a spoiler territory but I think the the passage of time is a problem with it you know I think it does lose that momentum there were there were aspects of from the other films that if you know, if you're going to go back, I would have liked that they at least maybe addressed a couple of th- things from the previous film. But it was very much, it's very much its own beast. It's very much, you know, there are, it is still dealing with the ramifications of the three films. But there's not an awful lot in ways of callback to it. No, apart from, I guess, the, the things that are now well established. Born yeah. tropes. Yes, born tropes. And we will we'll get into that, certainly. Uh, before we do, I think, you know, during our... Our, our look at the, the first four films, we did have a little look at the, the career of Matt Damon and look how his career path had changed throughout it. And looking at Life After Born for Matt Damon from 2007, it's really his period of films that 
a lot of them I didn't see, to be honest. There was a lot of stuff from a lot of stuff he put out that I wasn't all that interested in going to see. Some of them were like quiet indie films. Some of them were, uh, you know, some of your 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 bigger box office fare. But uh, yeah, an interesting mix. He did, of course, reteam with Paul Greengrass in 2010 for uh, Green Zone, which was kind of a a look at. Uh, the handling of the the second Iraqi war, I believe, or the the occupation of Afghanistan, or, or something like that. It's, it's the search for WMDs. Right, right. It's not a bad film. It's uh, it's got Jason Isaac in it with a, a big mustache, and um, it, it's got that same sort of, I guess, liberal politics agenda that Greengrass brings to foreign films as well, but to the war in Iraq. Um, it's it's not as good as foreign films or. Uh, Fair enough. I'll, I'll need to check that one out. And then he did uh, some maybe more twee films, maybe some more Oscar baiting stuff. Uh, he did Invictus, The Hereafter, We Bought a Zoo, uh, all films that I, I never sat down to watch. Um, but then also the likes of True Grit and Contagion, which were quite interesting. We've seen him quite in, uh, recently playing. Uh, stranded, uh, doing a double bill of stranded astronaut movies. That might be a box set to look at later when he did uh, Interstellar and followed that up quite shortly after with The Martian. So, I think we talked about it before with him. He, he's he's kind of at a stage where he's he's very much kind of cherry picking his roles a little bit more. He's not put out a huge amount since since then, and yet he still managed to uphold his reputation as one of Hollywood's A list. Yeah, I guess when you get to the A list, you need to do all the films. Clearly, the exception would be. Wayne uh, The Rock Johnson who seems to be doing about six films a year or something at the moment but you know when you get to that upper upper echelon you can just pick and choose whoever can pay you get maybe you want to work with a certain director or, or whatever suddenly get a lot of clout in the projects that you can do or you will do um, so yeah I think he's, he's kind of up in that Brad Pitt Tom Cruise sort of level now of control of his, his product absolutely well, I think that'll do us for the preamble. I think we can kind of draw the line here and say from this point on, we're going to be going into spoilers territory. So I think we're going to take a, a little break to walk through uh, a little a political demonstration in downtown Athens. It'll maybe break out into a riot. And then we'll, we'll come back and give our thoughts on Jason Bourne. I know who I am. Finish with you, you'll no longer be yourself. I remember. I remember everything. Remembering everything doesn't mean you know everything. Tell me. You've just been hacked. Could be worse than Snowden. Facial recognition got a hit. Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. Why would he come back now? There's a demonstration in front of the Greek Parliament building. I think she'll use it as cover. They tracked you. We gotta move. things. 
He knows things. What if he's not coming for us? What if it's something else? I volunteered because of a lie. This is Jason Bourne. I need to talk. 32 kills. People are safer because of what you did. The gloves are off now, Joe. Jason Bourne. Any good? Jason Bourne is okay. Yeah, it's it's not as good as the first three. It's not as bad as the fourth one. Uh, to be as blunt as, as I can, <laughs> as nice as I can. It's it's good. It's good to see Matt Damon really sort of knows the part inside out. He does that quite well. He doesn't really need to speak much. There's a lot of press about lines of that film. I think he embodies the character so well physically that he doesn't need to have too many lines. So I thought it was, it was good for him. One thing I thought was strange was, what happened to Julia Stiles? Because she was rubbish in this film. I don't know what she played. It's like they replaced her with a robot or something. Was she ever that good though? She wasn't as bad as that, surely. Like, yeah. Some of her readings in that film were, it felt like a table read. Really, really weird. Yeah, I'm trying to think what she's done since 2007. I don't think she's been working all too much. So maybe, I don't know, maybe acting's like a muscle and if you don't exercise it as much, you yeah, you struggle a little bit. Yeah, but, I mean, it was okay. There were some good set pieces, again. I think increasingly the series has, has moved towards being some very strong set pieces that are kind of woven together with some, some plot back. And I, I think that the plot was, I don't, we'll maybe go into the plot a bit more later on, but the plot was not the, the best developed, the best uh, meshed together. I felt like there were maybe two different plots for two different films that never really met in the middle. I'm looking at the, the plot synopsis that the IMD offer for it, the IMDB offer for it, and it says the CIA's most dangerous former operative is drawn out of hiding to uncover more explosive truths about his past. And it's just, and I know it's just a sentence to try and catch up the the movie, but you know that could describe the last two Bourne films as well. You know, it's not exactly going into too much. Yeah, well, this is when when I went to see it because um, I, I was a lot more positive about it than the people I went to see it with. They kind of felt that it was just doing more of the same, and I could see that to a certain extent. Part of a lot of moments of Jason Bourne being spotted on CCTV losing a tail, what about headsetting, you know, that, that kind of thing um, that he's done throughout the first three films. Um, it kind of it does rely a lot on him disappearing into crowds. Yeah, and we, we, we talked about the passage of time, and I suppose the story that it's trying to tell is, you know, how where we find him ten years from now. He has kind of lost that spark. He is still very much haunted, haunted by his past. I think, you know, he's coming... 
there are those sequences that we saw in the previous films that um, you know is is feeling guilty about all of the lives that he's ruined and all the the, the deaths that he's caused in his in his past. But now he's also like kind of living with the news that he volunteered openly for the program and that seems to be haunting him and we seem to he seems to have lost that spark he seems to be a little bit broken and you know as we say he was you find him bare knuckle boxing on the 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 border to to greek and albania and you know in one sequence you know it's almost like he's the fight's completely gone out of him he's just he's just there to get hit basically and he's he's kind of given up the ghost i guess that's kind of the story the story they're trying to tell now this you know this kind of broken jason bourne I think so, but then at the same time, they, they sort of, through their, their plot contrivances, they managed to make it that actually he was kind of duped into volunteering for the thing because his father was assassinated in a staged terror attack by Bassett that was part of the thing, part of the program. So, you know what I mean? It kind of undermines that, that sentence of guilt that he maybe has by giving him like a, oh, well, actually I was duped. And then it becomes again about him getting his revenge for being duped. Well, I actually... I actually saw it more that he was like trying, like it was almost a way of relieving that guilt. It was almost, as, you know, he, he didn't volunteer for it. He was identified for it. And that kind of gives him his peace of mind. And he's trying to, uh, I, I suppose it does just turn into revenge by the end. But, you know, to begin with, certainly he's he's trying to get that, that, oh God, um, I was going to say quantum of solace from, from everything. But God, I, I, I suppose that's where we're at with this no, one. Well worn trees, quantum of solace. <laughs> Oh God, I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that's where we're at with it. One of the problems jumping forward in ten years for me, anyway, or jumping forward with the, I suppose the time frame is unspecified, but we'll we'll say we'll give it the nine years that the the film has been gone. Uh, so we get this advancement in the Bourne character, but gone are your your Pamela Landys and your Noah Vossens from the previous films, who who you know for us really made it. And you know they're not to for them not even to be referenced. I, I thought was a bit of a, 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 a certainly a shame at the least, maybe a, a, a slap in the face. But I, I suppose you know if they're gonna if they're gonna ignore Jeremy Renner as well, I suppose we've got to take the fact that they're gonna ignore Landy and Vossen as well. But what we get in their place is uh, CIA director Robert Dewey played with uh, all the stone-faced genius that is uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, where does he rank for you in the in the line of no-nonsense CIA directors? I, I, well, see, I, was, I was a bit disappointed with old Tommy, or Tommy Lee. Uh, I thought he was, um, I guess not to make a pun, because they are literally on the phone quite a lot, but I kind of thought he was phoning it. <laughs> the one thing, the one takeaway I had really about his performance, and this is the show's how little it had an effect on me, was that he's kind of got those long old man ears now. And <laughs> so when he was trying to put a Bluetooth headset in, he was really, really struggling with it. So I was just sort of fixated on watching him struggle with the, uh, the Bluetooth headset on his long ears. On paper, it's it's the role that he was born to play, just this kind of gruff patriotic CIA director that is completely has no issues with invading personal privacy all in the name of uh, of freedom and and protection and national security but yeah there just there wasn't that spark and maybe maybe it was there was no one for him to really play off I mean I suppose he has a, a couple of back and forth with uh, Riz Ahmed's character who plays this kind of uh, social media tycoon but I, I don't know a lot of the times it was just him kind of talking to Vincent Cassell and tell him, telling him to finish it, finish this thing, or, you know, f- close the account, or whatever the language is they were using. 
I, I think it is closed the account. I think as well that the problem is that there's there's no real depth to that, that character. I mean, he's just, he's just a bad guy. There's no sense of, do you, do you know what I mean? He's so gung-ho about what he wants to do. Like, it's always just kill them, always kill people, send the, uh, the assets out to get them. There's no subtlety or, or nuance to them, whereas, like, Noah Wilson would maybe be more of a political animal that could maneuver. He was quite gung-ho, but he was also, you know, always trying to maneuver with the, the inter-office politics. Robert Dewey, he doesn't really have anything apart from he's, he's like, an older, he's been around around the block of it. That's it. He's, he's pretty much just a one-note bad guy that wants everyone to get killed. Yeah. And he was so he's put, supposedly been there since the beginning of them. Like, where was he in all the other films? He's like, oh, I knew your dad. I knew you born. And it's like, well, where have you been when all of this was going down in the in the last four films? Are, are there like multiple CIA directors? I'm not entirely sure about. I, I I don't know I I don't know the inner workings of the the CIA uh, chain of command, but yeah, there always seems to be a different CIA director. Yeah, because there's been about like nine of them, and he's he's already uh, if he's already been there the whole time, then what's going on? Directors within directors. Now, no wonder there's so much backstabbing and sniping in the CIA. Yeah, hi. No one knows who's who. So, um, I guess, like, more interesting character for me in the CIA side was uh, Anders' character. Yeah, Heather Lee. Um, yeah, that was going to be my next point because, you know, you mentioned he's obviously a bit flat, a bit one-dimensional, but there's certainly a lot more layers to uh, Vikander's character. Yeah, and in fact, in Vikander's character, it, it's probably the closest to the sense of paranoid spy espionage sort of stuff that was in the first people compared to Jason Bourne's actually a lot more action-y um, and it's more with Candor's character that you're getting this sense of who can be trusted, are there factions within factions or counterplots or, or whatever. She's a really interesting character. I think she plays it really well. She's got a, quite a glacial quality to her, to her face that she, she used really well in Ex Machina and she uses really well, quite inscrutable. You can't tell what she's working, what angle she's playing. Um, so yeah, I thought she was really good at actually. Yeah, she kind of keeps you guessing. You're not really sure. You know, at first she seems, you know, to be cut from the same cloth as Tommy Lee Jones as this very kind of hard-nosed, any by any means necessary suit. And then you kind of you kind of see her adopt more of the, almost a cross between the likes of um, Pamela Landy's character mixed in with Nikki Parsons and also, um, oh, I'm looking back over my identity notes, uh, Marie, you know, Franca Patente as well. You know, she's almost kind of a mix of all of those three with her, her different things and it, she she keeps you guessing. And it, I suppose it's one of the things they did they did quite well. Yeah, definitely, because she's even got a touch of Noah Bozen in about, about her as well. Mm-hmm. She is constantly trying to politic her way to she wants more power yeah definitely and then something something else that they did a little bit different you know I, I think you know and and I'm with you I don't think this is up up there with the original 3A but it's certainly significantly further ahead than uh, the Born Legacy although interestingly enough do you know what this got on Rotten Tomatoes uh, no I have no idea it got 57% which I thought was pretty low. Uh, to put that in context, you know, the, the, the original trilogies, they were in the 80s. I think uh, the Bourne Ultimatum got up to the 90s. The Bourne Legacy is at 55%. So there's a, they rank it as a 2% difference on Rotten Tomatoes, which uh, I thought was a bit harsh, to be honest. What do the critics know, though, eh? Ah, exactly. What do they know? And as I was saying, I, 
I, I think it is like a million miles ahead of uh, of the Born Legacy, and you know, it just it had that look. I was glad Paul Greengrass was back. It had that look. It had that feel of a Born film. It kind of had that that kind of shaky. You know, the cameras twisting about the place. You never really know who's watching. Uh, I, I like that feel to it, and and something it also did. Something that the the Born films have always done is 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 kind of look at the. The advances in surveillance and in, and in spy tech and you know the ways that the government can watch you you know in the, in the past you know we 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 talked about in the the born identity how uh, Marie's character was shocked that they could get a picture of her from the from the embassy from taken from a day ago and we see that progress to them being into able to hack into the cameras of pretty much anywhere on the country uh, in the born legacy you know we saw the use of drones and in this one it's it's kind of looking again at the um, of how you know, social media and uh, that side of things can can be used to spy on the public as well. And I thought that was one side of it that it did quite well as well. See, I think that that was part of the, part of my problem with the film is that that was that was an interesting film or an interesting point. You know, we've had Edward Snowden, so we're now aware of the level of, or maybe not aware, but maybe slightly more aware of the level of surveillance that we're under from national security agencies. But it just didn't feel like it was connected to the Jason Bourne story at all, really. It, it just kind of was happening in tandem, just almost as a way to show you that, like, yeah, totally Jones is snooping bastard, or some kind of way to give it some kind of topicality or something. But actually, Jason Bourne's story was him trying to find out about what happened with his father. Hmm. These two things, they kind of collide towards the end in, in Vegas. But they're completely incidental from each other. There's no no through line. It feels like you could have done with a bit of a polish on the script or something like this. But you don't get any sense of there being like a thematic link with these two things either. With Jason Bourne's quest and Riz Ahmed's quest, he's this sort of David Zuckerberg type guy who's been secretly funded by the CIA and now he's got more feet about doing his surveillance thing for the, the government. Um we don't, we don't seem to have any kind of link or, or thematic link with those two characters with what they're going through, what their, their goal is. They're just two different guys who are going up against Conan Jones. Yeah, it's true, and I suppose it, it, it would be quite awkward trying to get Jason Bourne onto social media to try and make that link, but... Uh... Did you did you notice Riz Ahmed um, towards the beginning when his character is just introduced, getting the most undeserved standing ovation when he's like at a, a press conference and they're? It's brilliant. It's it's like just really blanket statement that he makes. Yeah, he make it's kind of like I don't know if you've seen Bird Demic, but there's a bit where like somebody just makes an announcement and then it's followed by like a minute of applause. And there, you know, he's asked one question. He's like. We are not going to use our platform to spy on you, and everybody just erupts. It's <laughs> it was like I can't believe like a skilled director like Greengrass uh, let that kind of get in there because it just looks so out of place and so disjointed. Yeah, it's almost like he's an older man who doesn't understand social media or the way that people act at these sort of tech conferences or something because it's yeah. it's really bizarre. You know that normally if it was like Steve Jobs. The Steve Jobs movie he would tell you what he's going to do and then build up to, and that's why we're never going to have like the surveillance or whatever because I've got all these security systems. Riz Ahmed just says, and we're never going to be surveilled, and everyone, yeah, easy crowd, I suppose, you know, had a meeting out yeah. the palm of his hands. 
Also, is there such a thing as a conference for like spyware? I've I, I found that really strange that they had this big public event and like a big press event for something that's like meant to be very secretive. You're not really meant to to show people how you're going to like spy on people. I, I I found that a bit strange as well. The conference at the end. Um, was it? I what I thought was was more about the technology that people have nowadays that we have access to, which kind of makes a lot of old spycraft obsolete. Because what would have been a game from gadget, we can now just buy off of Amazon or something. Yeah. So the actual spyware that the government are doing is the secret stuff where they're just pulling all the data from the, the, the social media thing. So they're quite happy for us to keep bugging each other. Or, I just I, I thought it straight I, I, I think they kind of addressed it but I always for for the longest time I thought it was so strange that Tommy Lee Jones's character was going to go and appear on the panel it was like you know he's going on stage at Comic-Con to talk about how 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 good of a spy film Jason Bourne is, but uh, no, they they kind of they turned it into like a debate between you know uh, national security and and per individual privacy. So I was okay with that, but for a while I was like, why is he going to this conference? That seems so out of place for Tommy Lee Jones's character. I guess because he wanted to make sure that uh, the asset cashed the check or whatever it's supposed yeah. to get out. And we have we have Vincent Cassell as the asset, who's in, introduced pretty early on. And in, and in the previous Bourne films, you know, you see the asset. He's usually introduced about three quarters of the way in. You don't really get to know much behind him. He generally is 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 someone that comes in, does the job, and or doesn't do the job, and either leaves or gets killed by Bourne. But here he's brought in a lot earlier, uh, and they and they try and put a personal link. Uh, they, you know, they really try and insert him into the story. You know, for him going after Bourne is personal, and also as we as we find going on, it's it, it becomes personal for Bourne as well. Which uh, I don't. I don't know if I like that so much in the end. You know, in the past it would be you eliminate... In the other films, you know, he would eliminate the asset and then he would confront the, the CIA head who has all the answers. And, and, and here they did it the opposite way around. You know, Tommy Lee Jones is dispatched of and then it just leads to this massive this massive showdown through the streets of, uh, of uh, Las Vegas between Cassell and uh, Matt Damon. Yeah, I thought, I, I thought it was interesting the idea of... Vincent Cassell's character wanting revenge on Jason Bourne because what what that does there is it makes what Jason Bourne is thought of as being a good thing in the driving force for the first three films of Stones and Treadstone and Blackbriar and all these assassination programs it's actually led to Vincent Cassell being captured interrogated tortured for years so it's embittered them and it gives this sense of like well every every action has Consequences, even the so-called right action, has actually really damaged this this man. But then, like you say, the, the whole thing with uh, Jason Bourne wanting revenge on Vincent Cassell kind of feels like it overacted a little bit, especially because you see it a million miles away. Every time we show a flashback of, of the uh, the incident with Jason Bourne's father. Yeah, I think it was a reveal too far. It didn't really feel particularly necessary. No, no, it could have been. Uh, it could have just been you know, CIA. It should have been Tommy Lee Jones. Why not? Oh, I'm Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, use some of that CGI anti-aging effect on Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, I would be terrified. <laughs> it really, really would. Anyway, though, so I guess you just have to do it slightly less. 
And I guess, you know, as I say, it came down to that head-to-head car chase in Vegas, which apparently took about five weeks to shoot, and they wrecked 170 cars while doing it. And there was an excess in that sequence that kind of... I know, you know, it's your your climax of the film and you want to go out with a bang, but we've, we've seen Bourne films end with car chases before that haven't gone on to, you know, this excess of of a massive armored truck just plowing through car after car after car. You know, you know, I I think uh, probably Supremacy probably has one of the best sequences where he's chasing Carl Urban and they're they're driving through downtown Moscow and that's just two cars, you know, racing against traffic, banging the shit out of each other and then and then just coming to an end and and here it just I, I, I don't know. It, it it felt very transformery for me. I don't know I don't know how you felt about it. Well, I was that was one of the scenes but in the trailer I thought eh, this doesn't look like Jason Bourne this looks more like James Bond this looks like something that wouldn't be out of place in a James Bond film yeah but it just it doesn't sit right in a Jason Bond film I guess it's they sort of have it that it's Vincent Cell being this dark side of Jason Bourne that will you know gladly type through a bunch of missing cars but it did just feel a bit over the top um, although having said that I do always enjoy it when cars or other vehicles drive into casinos or malls. So that was that was a nice touch. That I, had. I mean, I think especially if you compare it to the, the sequence towards the beginning of the the film uh, when they're going through Greece, which begins on foot when uh, Bourne and uh, Nicky Parsons are being tailed by the CIA operatives, and it begins on foot through the streets, and they kind of separate, and it kind of has a bit of the rooftop stuff, and a bit, and then it takes to the motorcycles where they're they're racing through the streets. And for me, that's a much better example. And, it, and in many ways, it's it's still quite over the top. You know, you've got Molotov cocktails being thrown all over the place and you've got you know rioters all over the place but it it felt natural and it kind of felt more like born you know it felt like they're using the environment the natural environment of the situation to to create the tension you know it, you know even something if you go back to like the 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 born ultimatum where you know they managed to make an action sequence of, of of walking through a train station you know this just felt a lot more natural as opposed to just jumping into ju- jumping into a bloody big car and just plowing through things i thought it was a far better example you know that 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 that, that sequence was probably a highlight for me yeah no that sequence was was by far an amazing that and I, like I say, Alicia Vikander was, was mm-hmm. pretty good. But yeah. that sequence in the uh, diet is incredible because you've got a real sense of like scale geography when it's well. Like the second white riot was, was breaking out because you've got Vincent Cassell on the rooftops with a gun looking, so you can see where all these different flashpoints of uh, action and violence are taking off. And he's getting information from people in uh, the CIA offices. It's really well put together, <clears throat> the way that they cut between the different sort of sides of the action as well. Vincent Cassell trying to get onto the rooftop, for example, and beat up a couple of guys. But, uh, Matt Damon trying to get away and, and break through and evade the people on foot. Uh, and then the people in the CIA office who are looking at the uh, CCTV footage, and they have the classic uh, Enhance as well. Is, <laughs> yeah. That's how they figure out that he's there. Um, but yeah, I mean, that that sequence actually because it's so early on in the film it kind of it buoyed me for a large part of the film because there are a couple of other sequences that are quite close to that I'm thinking the bit when he's, he's in London mm-hmm. uh, at some people on food uh, it never quite matches that for the same level of excitement and tension 
And as good as that is, you know, I think certainly there came a point, maybe a, a couple of minutes before it ended, you know, you have Vincent Cassell racing to get to a point with his sniper rifle. And because we've seen the Bourne supremacy, I, th- I think we knew how that sequence was ending with uh, with poor old Nicky Parsons getting going the same way as Marie in the second film. And and I guess again that's part of it. I don't know if you would call that a a, a callback or if you would call it laziness. But again, I, I guess that's that raises the question of whether this you needed to go back to this film at all. No, um, I, I I see what you mean. I thought it was a nice wee, well, not a nice wee callback. But it was a callback for sure to the, the second film, um, and then it sort of kickstarts his his whole guilt trip thing again, rather than his. Is guilt at himself, but is guilt at like, letting um, a woman die. To be honest, as well, the sooner that Julia Stiles was out of that film, the better. <laughs> I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think they need to make any more films. If they were to make another film, then perhaps it could be on being rebooted by the CIA, but they need to do something different than him being a fugitive trying to uncover secrets from the CIA. It's, it's, at its, it's run its course now. One of the things that we we did um, throughout uh, when we did the original box set marathon was try to do a little death count and it was in, or a body count of uh, Jason Bourne and it was interesting to see you know how how that number went down throughout the series as he became more and more reluctant um, to, to to kill people. I tried to do a, a a body count for this one. I didn't quite get it all. It seemed maybe even at the, particularly at the beginning of that uh, that Greek chase sequence. Was he a bit more cavalier about killing? I, d- I don't know. It seems like he plugs a couple of guys right at the beginning. Yeah, I think he's yeah, he's definitely a, a lot more cavalier at the beginning of the film and even towards the end of the film about people that he will just shoot. He was never one for guns unless it was absolutely necessary. And then this one, he could probably have beaten those guys up, surely? That's the question. There was not... I, I was disappointed at the lack of improvised violence as well. There was no rolled-up magazines. There was no books being jabbed into people's throats. I was a little bit let down by that. He had a, he got a leg off a chair, uh, and he used a frying pan or something in the sewer. He used some strange thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was, that was... But yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't as much of that. Um, it's a lot more tech-driven as well. You know, Jason Bourne always struck me as the kind of guy that would break something down on the inside of a matchbook. And this one has got eight sticks that have, you know, I, I can't even remember what it had written on it, but it had something you know, top secret written on this data stick that he is then using with hackers and, and all sorts of stuff. So it seems like, again, a bit more of a departure from Jason Bourne that we used to, you know, you had the old-fashioned spycraft, dead drops and stuff, that, that kind of thing. But in this one, it's a lot more 24 cyber crimes and stuff. Born, my name is Heather Lee. I'm not in charge here. I wasn't here when you went missing. I can see you going through the old Treadstone files. Retracing your history. I know you're looking for something. Let me help you find it. Give me that phone. Yes, sir. Jason, this is Robert Dewey. Do you remember me? Jason, your dad was a patriot. 
He could see the threats that America was facing, and like you, he chose to serve his country out of a profound sense of duty. He would not want to see you harm the agency. You have to stop this. And you have to stop it now. Well, I think we can probably stick a pin in Jason Bourne then, and it's... I don't know. I, I went into it feeling a little bit apprehensive, a little bit not in, engaged. I thought... There were there was definitely lots to enjoy in it, as you say. the The Greek sequence was quite the was was pretty good. Uh, was actually up there with uh, some of their best. And then you know the London sequence was also very watchable. I did I I, I thought it really kind of lost its way towards the end. But um, you know it's it's not a bad film. You know you look at that kind of fifty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and uh, you feel like that's a little bit undeserved. I, you know I, it, it's it's nowhere near the, the the first three films, but I think it's it's still you know. In the upper echelons of your your action spy films that are getting released today, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I I, I think that the reason it's got such low rating is probably expectations were quite high for it. Yeah, like like we were saying, if you think if those two filmmakers are coming back to make this film, there must be a reason for it. And in the end, it maybe wasn't a good enough reason for for it to be made. Having said that, you know it was an enjoyable film I did enjoy it and I don't feel like it messed around with the, the legacy of the franchise as much as legacy <laughs> um, so yeah I, I, it was fun watch it watch it on video if you can't go and see it in the pictures it's you know it's not worth no, definitely not. I think you know if you enjoy that character as we definitely did. There's there's enough to take out of it. Um, I'm hoping. I'm hoping this doesn't kickstart a, a, a new string of adventures for for Jason Bourne. I really, you know, I'll give them a free pass on this one. There's enough goodwill because of those first three films, but uh, I'd say don't push your luck. Like I said, if they, if they changed up the dynamic, if they made him now he's a cop or he's a secret service guy or something, and it continues that story uh, in a different way, but I don't want to see just Jason Bourne living on the fringes of society, trying to escape from the CIA. Who would be your next gruff director that you would have, uh, CIA director that you would have come in if, if they were just to continue doing this? Um, I don't know. Let's let's go. Oh, right, okay. Put me on guard here. I'll say, how about uh, Warren Beatty or Dustin Hoffman? Someone, someone of that generation. Yeah, yeah. I was almost thinking Michael Keaton, but I don't know. He might be a little bit too... He might ham it up a little bit too much. Yeah, I think Michael Keaton could be pretty good though. Like maybe, maybe that's what Tommy Lee Jones needed to do, hammer up a bit more, because he was a bit black. Yeah, fair enough. Well, uh, Joe, thank you very much for taking the time to 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 draw what what I'm hoping will be the final line in this discussion. Although I say that, and I'm looking at the the final line of my notes, and I, my eye keeps getting drawn back to that Jeremy Renner Renner born sequel in 2018. So I suppose we'll just meet back here in two years' time and uh, and and add that one to the pile. Yeah, continue, continue piling them up. You're me. Yeah. yeah. Moby's got to get those royalty checks somehow. Oh, there was a remix of the Moby song. It was a different version. I was caught off guard by it. <laughs> uh, I, I have to say, I got the biggest smile on my face when when the the opening the opening bars of that song came on at the end. Yeah, no, same same for me. You know, you've seen that Jason Bourne when. Well, what better way to wrap it up then? Uh, I think we'll just we'll just play a bit of Moby over this and and be done with it. Joe, thanks very much for coming on, and uh, hopefully speak to you again soon. Ah, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. I'll speak to you soon.
The strawberries taste like strawberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams.